Yo, what's up guys, and we are back again for another episode of The Movie Newbie. I'm Jabril, and I am again, and as usual, with my guys, Raf and Ollie. Hello. Hello. And I think I was supposed to point at someone first, because <laughs> that's what we said the last time. <laughs> you did. <laughs> what are rules for? <laughs> but anyways, today we're doing the movie Before the Devil Knows You're Dead by... Uh, Sydney Lumet, and this is the last episode of our Sydney Lumet master director theme. Mm. And um, Raf, take it away. Yeah, this is the last feature. This is also this was also his last feature before he passed a couple of years later. Um, and it was something that I think this was the last Lumet film I've yeah. seen. Um, and what a harrowing picture! First of all, it's pretty dark. It's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, might not be for everyone. But so so finely tuned, so it's incredibly rich performances, and you know you're getting Philip Seymour Hoffman and Ethan Hawke uh, at the top of their games. You'll you're getting an incredible cast that includes Marisa Tomei. You're 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 getting uh, Michael Shannon even makes an appearance. Mm, Amy yeah. Ryan, um, Rosemary Harris, Albert Feeney. I mean you you're getting a strong ensemble yet again from Sydney. Um, which if there's anything, if there's any like correlation between these three films is how strong, how strongly he imposes um, ensemble work. Um, and again, a man of the theater, right? So an ensemble really does carry a film. Uh, so this film is about two brothers who, uh, the premise is simple, who basically robbed their uh, parents' jewelry store. And then mm. shit just goes crazy after that. Mm, um, yeah. Dark, alluring, intense, graphic, and occasionally quite funny. Um, yeah, let's dig into it. Let's dig into this film. Let's let's yeah. let's hear first opinions from from our movie newbie. Um, so yeah, I was gonna say definitely don't do what I did and watch this <laughs> at nine a.m. on a Sunday morning. It is not a nine a.m. at Sunday morning kind of movie. No, yeah, no it's no, not no. a Sunday film. So Sunday heavy. Film. <laughs> so heavy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, right off the bat, the I think. I'd say that the triangle of the the dad and the two brothers, mm. or, I, I, okay, actually you could say Tomei's character as well, kind of like filled in there, but I really liked the dynamic between those characters and I thought that was what carried the entire movie for me. Um, but I did find it kind of jarring that it like wasn't um, along one timeline. It was like here and there and mm. jumping all around and at times like if you look away for one second you're just like you have to rewind and i kept having to rewind the movie and i guess that kind of took the, the the effect away but um yeah just like very dark amazing performances and also like just the way it looked made it feel like you were like right in there in the thick of mm-hmm. everything that was happening um so yeah, that's just my yeah my general opinion on this movie. Nice, nice. And um, Ollie. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Although you know, like you guys kind of alluded to, to enjoy a film like this might be the wrong word. To enjoy it is perhaps not the correct word. I mean, I was I was engrossed. I can say that mm. I felt like I was watching something that was just in the hands of a real master filmmaker, which we'll get to later. But um, so I actually had not seen this since I was like a teenager. I think I watched this not too long after it came out when I was um, something of a budding young cinephile. And um, to my surprise, I actually I remember not really enjoying it at the time. Like I knew that everyone loved this film. I knew it came with a lot of critical acclaim and that it had a big standing. But I remember just watching it and feeling kind of bored, I think, really. But I think that may have been to do with the fact that I wasn't paying a, a lot of attention to it when I watched it that time. So maybe I was suffering a little bit from what Jabril was um, referring to, where I was just constantly finding myself out of sync of where we were in the storyline. But this time I watched it, you know, with the right in the under the right kind of conditions with the right kind of attention. And I was, you know, I was pulled in from the beginning, and I was not let go until the end. Um, and I was, yeah, captivated by what I saw on screen. I think this is like, you know, it's a pretty simple story. If you break it down mm-hmm. to its most basic elements, there's nothing revolutionary about the story they're trying to tell. It's kind of, but it's just like a simple, timeless story with those sort of classic elements that people love to revisit time and time again. Mm-hmm. 
in different formats and storytelling. You've got, you know, you've got crime, you've got the sins of the father, you've got brothers that have bad blood between them. Um, you've got like adultery, you know, you've just got like the heist gone wrong, like a, a, a series of bad decisions that mm -hmm. turns everything worse, you know. Um, it was, uh, yeah, and, but it, I think just the way it's told was, was what sets this apart from similar films. I think the choice to use non-linear storytelling, while that may be a little bit controversial to some, I think it actually really boosted this film. I love that it took the time to keep revisiting people's different perspectives. And um, usually when people do like the non-linear storytelling, you feel like they're going to try and reveal different pieces of the puzzle. But I don't think it's more to do with plot. I think it was more just to do with character, allowing you to spend certain time with certain characters, settle with them, and then move on to the other. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I just think films. it was like... Yeah, I mean a little bit, a little bit, but yeah, I mean the book, right? Which I've which I've never actually I've never actually read any of the books, but um, yeah. So I think this is just like a, a simple, good story with resonant themes, told really, really well, and with superb acting across the board, and uh, really good music as well, which maybe we can touch yeah. on a little bit if we have time mm. later. Absolutely. But yeah, yeah, great, really enjoyed it. Uh, but Raf, yeah, what did you think this time? Oh yeah, I mean just. I think it was a lot more harrowing this time around because yeah. I actually got some of the concepts that were um, on screen and uh, I got a lot more from it. Um, and I was just in awe, in absolute awe of these performances. Um, specifically, I mean, I, I'll, I'll say all of them, but there's one moment where Philip just takes the screen away. And I think we all know, or we, we can all recognize um, that moment uh moment in the car but um but i i also really enjoyed ethan hawk and i would love if ever there's a remake of this film or a stage play even mm -hmm. uh an adaptation i would love to play ethan hawk's character i feel um yeah just absolutely enthralled by by what he did and the magnetism that he brought on screen and I'm actually going to be doing a scene for my showcase later this year. Well, I don't know if it's going to be picked for this scene, but I chose to do a scene from this film. Um, Which one? The the one uh, where uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman busts in into Ethan Hawke's apartment when basically shit hits the fan. It's like the climactic scene uh, before they go to see Eddie um, and mm. to kill him. Um, so that conversation they have of like, where's the gun? Where's, did, why did you need to like, so it's like a bit of a, a violent and aggressive and, and really kinetic exchange between two brothers. And I think it would perhaps work well for, for my showcase. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I thank this film for, you know, continuing my career or hopefully <laughs> continuing my career. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it won't, nothing will happen, but yeah, no, I really thoroughly enjoyed this film and, and it was definitely a lot darker this time around because I actually comprehended the concepts that I think Lume was playing with and narratively yeah it was it was fantastic I thought which brings me to my first kind of structure to the first point that I want to make is um or the first little pillar I'll call them pillars I tried to like come up with another word but I'll just call them pillars um which is Lume Lumet in the Lume Lumet I feel like we've been both saying I think Lumet you said now. Lumet right yeah yeah. Lumet, yeah so Lumet 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 um thank you uh, Typical but, Frenchy over here. No, Lumette, Lumette. Uh, Lumette, Sydney Lumette. Um, but the first uh, kind of point I want to address is, yeah, Lumet in the 21st century or Lumet in digital age. Because he's done something widely different than any of his previous features, which he kind of um, introduces a new way of, of narrative in this film where he comes from the present to the past there's like swift edits. There's like a structure difference between um, that and his previous films. There's also a tonal difference, I'd like to say. And uh, especially the um, the instances where you're getting, it's like the high point of a, it's like a climactic bit of a scene. And then it suddenly just switches and we go back to a past and it's suddenly a very different yeah. narrative. Um, so that, what he played with was very daring uh, because most could have switched off quite easily as soon as they saw that. Because it's quite jarring. It's quite like it just happens all of a sudden. But I think it really re-energizes the film, and it's suddenly and it's suddenly told from a different perspective. And I thought that was pretty genius of him to do that. And I think he 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 did mention that he actually thoroughly enjoyed working digitally. He said it made his life a lot easier. Yeah, so, I remember. I will actually remember somewhere. Yeah, I remember mm -hmm. listening to um, a podcast interview years ago with Ethan Hawke. And he said that when they were preparing to do this film, they signed on and 
Sidney Lumet told him and Philip Hoffman that he had decided to shoot this in digital with digital cameras, which by that point was not the standard, was not the mm. norm. They were both really, really disappointed and tried to talk him out of it. They were like, no, this we're working with a classic, you know, 60s, 70s director. This is a classic story. We, should, we want it to look pretty. We want to shoot this on film, pay homage to the kind of influences that we're using here. But um, he was pretty steadfast. He was like, no, this is revolutionary technology and I, I want to be a forward-thinking director. And this was a director who would have been in his 80s, I believe, at that, mm, that point. 84. Mm. Something, Something like that. that, yeah, and and they and they thought it was going to be a they thought it was ruining the film basically that they were trying to make, and then they saw they 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 saw the product afterwards, and then they were like they looked turned to each other and said something along the lines of, "Damn it, Sid was right." <laughs> yeah, Sid was right. <laughs> and again, it, it 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 talks to his um, forward thinking, his his way of being progressive. Uh, not just with his actors, but progressive with the industry that he's in. He's never been redundant. He's never been someone that's been left behind by the industry, by Hollywood, by the complications of the new age, the digital age. He's someone who stepped forward and 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 welcomes any any new element that the industry might have. And I just I so commend him for for that and doing it at at yeah at, at essentially eighty four or around there incredible like the guy just never stopped and never never decided like no i will go back to like my roots and like nah he 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 paved way to like be welcoming to this to these new elements which i found incredible and i think the film looks really good yeah. like remembering mm. that remembering what was what was said about it being shot on like digital at a time when the cameras weren't that far ahead as early as they are now i thought i was expecting to watch it for it to kind of be like that did anyone ever see that um Michael Mann film with Johnny Depp, um, uh, Public Enemies. Yes. yes. I remember that, there was a big deal because that was shot with digital cameras at the time. And I, I, I saw that on TV recently. I'm like, this looks like shit. No offense. <laughs> um, and, but before, I was watching Before I the Devil Knows You're Dead and I thought it looked like, DV, like DVR cameras or something. Yeah. But it looked really crisp and looked really mm, clean. And I did. do think it brings something to the table because this is a film that, yeah, like you said, Raph, you know, it kind of like jumps all over the place in terms of its editing and it often feels quite like raw and fleet. And I think maybe the digital photography brings something to that. Like the camera gets shoved in people's faces, which is harder yeah. to do when you're working with those old film cameras. For sure. Mm. I think they like it definitely opened the door to a lot of different, um, a lot more um, varying angles and stuff like that. Um, to mm. be fair, so like... One of the things was, to be fair, I didn't really know what a director actually did. Like I, mm. I think for this for this movie and even this theme, I I found myself trying to f uh, figure out how Lumet was doing things. So um, it was just really strange for me. But now that once we start talking about him a little bit more, I kind of understand his connection to what's going on in the movie and. Um, Snap, I already lost what I was trying to say, but um, maybe let me just bring it back to the movie. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. To the digital. Ah, yes, that's what it was. <laughs> that's what it to was. To the digital, <laughs> yes. Um, what I wanted to say was, I, it would have been interesting to start with this movie and finish it off with, um, uh, what was the movie called? Uh, 12 Angry Men? 12 Angry Men, yeah. Mm. Because that was his first ever movie. I didn't, mm. I didn't know that. I thought he, yeah. he did stuff before. So... Maybe seeing it in that direction for me, I would have been able to pick out certain things more. I don't, I don't know. I thought about that. I, I, I did think about doing it in reverse order, um, which I mean, now now we can definitely go back to these films and, and have that chronological disorder. Because yeah. um, the car scenes, like the car scene in, um, fuck, why can't I think of the, Do the dog titles? Days? Yeah, Dog Days yeah. and uh, freaking Death Before... 12 yeah. angry men. <laughs> the devil before the devil before yeah, I mean they marry each other with like these intense yeah. like shots, but because with this new one with I guess the cameras and stuff, they can like go into the car more and yeah. do yeah. like awesome things, but it still had the same energy with Pacino <laughs> doing his awesome like opening scene, and then you have mm. Ethan Hawking and um same uh, Philip Seymour or Hoffman like doing yeah. just yeah. Awesome stuff. Sorry, that was true, just a bit true. jumbled in my brain. No, I was no, trying no. to say all these things at once. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, no, no, you got it out. You got it out. <laughs> Sorry, um, <listen>. and <laughs> no, no, and you're you're like you're you're right by saying that. Um, I I was reminiscent to to Al Pacino uh, and Ethan Hawke. I thought 
um, Ethan Hawke gave such an electric performance that reminded me of, of Al Pacino in Dark Day as well. Um, and I think there's a bit of a thread, like a common thread between um, what he's trying to bring in from all his older films. And there's definitely a thread between the characters that he uses or the characters that he wants to portray uh, in his films, uh, Lumet, uh, Lumet um, because there's always a sort of like degraded, pitiful like characterization in, in who he's and who he's or who he's like showcasing in his yeah. films. There's always it's never like a perfect, you know, leading man. It's never it's a bit shades of gray. It's it's a bit, you know, darker, you know, sneakier or there's a bit more. Yeah, there's a bit more layers to his characterization, which I think all his films, if there's one common thread between 12 Angry Men to Dark Day to Before the Devil Knows Your Dead is that we're getting that plethora of characterization. Yeah which is awesome. <clears throat> he loves his wordy titles. He does. Super yeah. wordy titles. <laughs> yeah, like, he does. Yeah, but like, absolutely. To your, to your point about like, I, I, that was something I realized too after watching this, this film. I was like, yeah, he does like to deal in somewhat, um, I don't know, uh, I don't know, troubled or challenged or kind of mm. morally sort of, yeah, morally challenged characters, you know, but then I would like, have loved to see his take on Smeagol. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He would have loved that character. Yeah. But like Twelve Angry yeah. Men does kind of set itself apart from the other two in that regard because it does. He yeah. does. You do have the um the Henry Fonda character, yeah. the uh who is like the only of of these three films. There's only one character who seems to be like, you know, all in all out like a good person or like a morally mm -hmm. upstanding person. But you know that film was made in the fifties, wasn't it? Yeah. Or so um I mean that maybe that's more reflective of the time and maybe. After that, when you had the 70s, you were able to have anti-heroes at the center of your screen, mm -hmm. like Al Pacino, and he just stuck with that. Because, yeah, um, absolutely. But that, yeah, like I think watching Dog Day Afternoon and then Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, like seeing the kind of, um, like how, you know, like despicable many of these characters are, but then how he treats them all with a certain degree of empathy. No, maybe not mm -hmm. like, maybe not, you know, sympathy, but empathy at least. Oh, yeah, well, I think you're, uh, like one of these like main characters that kind of sets herself apart from the rest is uh, Tomi's character, um, mm. the the wife slash lover. Mm. Um, I think she's Gina. one of Gina. Um, she's one of like the positive characters in the in the we movie, in my opinion. I mean, like emotional, emotion, emotion. Yeah, honest. I think she's perhaps a little bit more emotionally honest. Yeah, and mm -hmm. uh, than any of the then definitely either of the brothers mm -hmm. um, who are all like significantly more flawed, but even she, you know, not that, I mean, I think she's able to justify it because of the situations that she's in, but even, you know, she's cheating on her, on her husband mm -hmm. with her, you know, her husband's brother. And then yeah. the last we see of her is her asking for money from, yeah. you know, her husband, which is, you know, fair enough because they are married and stuff and she's entitled to that. But the last we see of her is asking for money after telling him that she's leaving and that she's been sleeping with his brother mm. because he finds her attractive and her husband yeah. doesn't. And so and even way, she's kind of like leaving on a bit of a, she, there's a bit of a, a sourness to her character mm, as well. Yeah. And the way she leaves as well, just brilliant. Just trying to like take that suitcase out of the stairs and then yeah. through the door. What a, what a scene. But um, yeah, I think I think well, you know, we can we can definitely jump to the second pillar. But just to go back on the first of like, you know, Sydney Sydney really um, introducing introducing something new to the game and staying relevant. Mm -hmm. I think I think is so. Um, it, it's the reason why he is so acclaimed. It's the reason why he is such a prolific director is because he stays relevant, right? Mm -hmm. There's a reason why these directors like Spielberg, like Scorsese, and like Sydney. Um, keep ahead of the game because they just know how to they just know how to lure in an audience they know how to yeah. stay fresh they know how to stay energetic they know how to stay relevant um, and and this film being his last could be his crowning achievement yeah I, I I would I would say it's 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 somewhat of a masterpiece and I'm not going to give my review just yet but it does have the hallmarks of the best qualities that Sydney um, showcases throughout his whole filmography like I think what I was trying to say earlier is when when I was trying to figure out what a director does and how they implement their style, um, usually for me, I'd be like, ooh, Wes Anderson, you know, that's, mm. that's stylistically a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. And I think maybe because now I know what a director does, maybe Wes Anderson <clears throat> doesn't let 
the team maybe explore their creativity and bring some some of their flavor but i think what lumet does is manage people and bring the the best out of them For and sure. uses that and i think maybe that's mm -hmm. not stylistically apparent visually but mm -hmm. something that i might have to build up to if i watch the movies yeah. Um, yeah 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 and he's and he's 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 you know like 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 we what well, like we talked about in the first episode with 12 angry men he's an actor's director right so if there's one signature trademark that lumet has is getting just the finest performances mm -hmm. so when you're seeing a film where you're like holy shit these performances not just from one individual but across the board you could be like is this a sydney lumet film because you're yeah. thinking, holy shit, like the, and, and some of the, some of these scenes in this film, and I'll hark back to mentioning Philip Seymour Hoffman, but that, that specific scene, his meltdown in the car is some of the best, it's probably the best acting I've ever seen mm -hmm. on uh, screen. Bold statement. That's a big statement. I mean, I mean, it is, it is, it is transcendent acting, but like, yeah. And, and Sidney himself uh, referred to that scene again and said it was, it was one of the most extraordinary scenes he's ever he's ever filmed mm. um, because it just goes from a frustrated casual conversation to literally a full-blown meltdown and you can see the veins coming out you can see the redness of his face mm. and you can see just Hoffman at the top of his game with that and even Ethan Hawke you know like yeah there are so many moments Ethan Hawke just like you, you're thinking, can Hoff, is, is Hoffman just like another beast? But then Ethan Hawke comes in and does these little scenes. Like when he returns his, when he tries to get, um, when he returns to the car dealership and tries to get yeah. the CD back. That in itself oh was, gosh. I thought, just the most, I was like, my goodness, <laughs> and that, and that's, this is amazing. And, that thing and is Albert like, Feeney as well. Like, uh, like Yeah, when, I mean, yeah. I, with, with Ethan Hawke, no, I really like Ethan Hawke, like a lot yeah, of people him, do. Yeah. And a lot, I think, a lot, frankly, a lot of guys from our generation do. I, but um, I think, I, even I, even as much as I like him, I would I would be the first to admit that I, I do think he's an actor of somewhat limited range, or at least mm. he's only had a limited range to play in in the past. Maybe he's developing a little bit more now. But so the fact that they're, we're able to pull these kind of surprising performance, uh, a very surprising performance from him in this movie just speaks to what Sydney, Sydney Lumet is, um, yeah. is uh, capable of. Because you're right, like I, I, there's a lot of scenes here where like Ethan Hawke is freaking out or like, you know, like stuttering or kind of just like all over the place where I'm like, I've seen this Ethan Hawke a million times before when he's been in, being mm -hmm. charming. But you're right, that scene in the car dealership or the car rental place where he you you just see him trying to sort of like struggling and failing to sort of control that situation but then also like the relief when he gets the cd back like these are like like yeah like perfect choices you know really mm. great choices yeah. and then his and in his um last scene as well like his confrontation with his brother when he's staring down the barrel of a gun yeah. like we've seen that a million times where the character says you know is is who's struggling has a gun in front of his face and he's like you know what, just do it, just kill me, like you'd be doing me a favor. Yeah. Mm. But like, I don't know, there was something completely like like revelatory in that scene. Brilliant. It yeah. was like a Greek tragedy, but just yeah. like super in-depth. Absolutely. Like yeah. if if they were allowed to go like super crazy with the character study, it would mm. be something like That's, this film. Mm. Yeah. That's exactly what I wrote in my notes. Oh, no like, way. Yeah. Like an epic Greek tragedy, for sure. It, it, it's, it's got all the, yeah, it's, it's very well done. Um, it's, it's got all the, uh, the hallmarks of a Greek tragedy, uh, which brings me, I think, to, to the next point um, quite nicely, because I want to talk about like kind of the dysfunctional, dysfunctional family um, and, and go on that theme, because this movie is technically about a family that's utterly, utterly dysfunctional. And it's mm. these degraded, pitiful characters, these these despicable kind of characters that you love to watch and like you empathize with, some sometimes sympathize with, like Ethan Hawke, I found myself sometimes sympathizing with. Whereas Philip, you you're suddenly thinking, oh, he's the real villain of the piece, but is also the father. You know, like you said, uh, Ollie, is is he does he have the sins and and the 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 sins of the father rain down upon his sons, and now his sons absolutely. Kind of go that and and yeah. I and I love like the choice they made in terms of how to communicate that. Not to say it's not a blame thing. It's not to say that Albert Finney's character, the father, is to blame for his son turning out in such a rotten kind of way. 
mm. or the other son being a complete, let's be honest, like a just weak, you know, like completely weak and having no like moral fiber himself. Um, like in a different kind of film, they would have showed Albert Finney's character just being like an asshole father. Yeah. But they weren't really like throughout the film you're watching him. He's like, he's just seems like a, a fairly, you know, competent father, you know, struggling, of course, with like the loss of his wife and everything like that. But like, you know, mm. not a bad guy, like, you know, just pretty, like I said, Joe. just an average Joe. But then like mm. he, you can you you get the sense of what he may have done when he was raising his children through Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, through yeah. the, the 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 wounds that he exposes. Like, I think when they first show it, it's like when they realize that um, it wasn't Doris in the jewelry shop. It was their mother who was shot and then later killed. And then you just have like Philip Seymour Hoffman and Ethan Hawke's character kind of grappling with this in private for the first time and freaking out. And all Philip Seymour Hoffman's character says at the end is just like, why couldn't it have been him? And then it just cuts away and you're like, oh shit, like he actually, for the first time, we didn't know, we thought that he was just ripping off his parents' store because it was easy and that was the easiest way to get money. But then there's an element of him where you think maybe he's kind of like subconsciously doing this to, to say fuck you to his dad. Yeah. To like mm. take out some sort of twisted revenge on him because you can see it sense that he blames his father for mm. whatever he did for 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 making him his life turn out kind of terribly, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which again, like Jabril points out, like it's got it's got these elements of of a Greek tragedy that you're thinking, can it sink even deeper? Um and the wounds are deep and the blood runs red and you know, these are characters that you, that fulfill that are dark and that are intense, and and that you're thinking, oh, is this going to have a happy ending? Probably not. And it's got the remnants of like an Oedipus Rex. You know, it's mm -hmm. got the remnants of like you know some some of these like Greek tragedies that you're thinking, my God, like just take my heart. You know, that's yeah. why on a, on a Sunday morning, it's definitely like, oh my God, this is heavy shit. I did want to yeah. say like you you said don't watch this on a Sunday morning. I would. Also, maybe suggest don't watch this on a Saturday when you're incredibly hungover, which I'll admit <laughs> no, I was not. No, I was. Yeah. And actually, I think it may have lended more to my, um, the sensation of watching it because I was just like feeling that dread. But also, yeah, you know, yeah, bit, yeah maybe, maybe a, a little too intense. Then. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, because I mean, it, it does. And like, I watched this fully sober, which I would recommend. Um, <laughs> I think with a glass of wine, just to like to loosen up the energies a little bit. But um, but it's it's de it definitely holds that weight. And it carries that weight throughout with a bit of alleviation from like, really ingenious comedy moments that you're thinking, Oh, What's that doing there? This is hilarious. Like Ethan Hawke, out of his desperation, we're getting a bit of that comedy. Uh, we're getting mm. a bit of that kin kinetic energy where it's like suddenly it's fun and it's fast paced. But it's also the themes that you're dealing with of like, you know, the power of greed, the power of seduction, um, dysfunctional families that that refuse to to own up to to being better versions of themselves. You know, it's it, it's got it, it's got such weighty and and heavy themes, but also timeless. So you can rewatch this and pick something else out that this film probably that you missed the first time around. Um, and it's, I like to, you know, it's, it's also something to address that it's, it, it only works because of these grand masterful performances. And I think Sydney really seems to always find shining moments. He finds always perfect, like idiosyncrasies that make these characters really come to life. Um, whether that's Albert Feeney finding out uh, or in the hospital realizing that his wife could die, Philip Seymour Hoffman's moment in the car, or Ethan Hawke pretty much throughout the film as he's just freaking out that he just, the thing went horribly awry. Um, so it's just those moments that really make it sharp and that make it intelligent, that make it fast paced, but also Kelly Martson, you know, the, the, the person who wrote the script, it's a terrific script. I, it's, it's a screenplay that I thoroughly enjoy and I recommend reading because it's also just a good read. Mm, mm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Also the, um, the, it's kind of, I always find it kind of random when I realize this, but, uh, Kelly Masterson was one of the writers of Snowpiercer. Hi. <laughs> he co-wrote yeah. it with Bong Joon-ho. <clears throat> That's right. And you couldn't That's think right. of like a weirder movie to go on to next, but um, <laughs> yeah. Snowpiercer. Isn't that the train? Yeah. Yeah, with um. Is it a is it a good show? Chris Evans. Have you guys seen it? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that it's film. Good. It's, oh, have it's you never have you never seen it before? I don't know. It just sounded like such a dumb like. Oh idea. no, 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 no! This is it's, by Bong Joon Ho, who you know, no, the no, director no. of Parasite. Oh, really? Because to, yeah. to me, it just sounded like Polar Express, or at least looked like it. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, it's it's it's. Don't get me wrong; it's bonkers, but it's yeah. I I I love Snowpiercer. Yeah, for me, yeah. that's like Anyways. one of. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Before we get sidetracked. Yeah, go watch Snowpiercer. This this thought just popped into my head though. Um the the non-linear timeline thing, it could kind of I don't know, this is just a weird thought, but it could be a it could reflect kind of like when a detective is going through a crime and getting pieces of evidence, you don't get evidence in a linear fashion. And in a lot of the time, you're so focused on the evidence that it's like in your face, mm-hmm. you don't see the bigger picture. So by the end of the movie, when you see the bigger picture and what's gone, what's happened, um, it's kind of like that kind of logic. I don't know. I know. I, I think that's really good point. Although mm-hmm. it's not like a lot of nonlinear films where I imagine they would have started with, um, <clears throat> they would have started at the very end. Mm-hmm. With like all the blood and the chaos and whatever, yeah. Like they may have started and started with the scene of Albert Finney, you know, watching his son die or killing his son in the hospital, and then they would have worked to your way backwards to explain. Mm-hmm. But I like how they instead just sort of they inch forward in time, but they keep going back to see yeah. every like day accounted for from a different mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah, yeah, no, and, it, and it shows it, it. That just shows the dynamic between the family members, right? So you're never missing. You're never missing a bit of a bit of characterization from this film. You're never thinking, oh, but wait, I wish I would know more about this or found out more about that because you're getting those delineated structure where it goes back to the present, then from the past to the present, the present to the past. And it really showcases that dynamic. And there's I think there's one one great moment that really emphasizes the power dynamics between the brothers uh, their jealousy and their rivalry and their love and hate is when they're at the bar and you see Ethan Hawke sitting down and Philip Seymour Hoffman looking up at him. And I think it's, it's, it's I have it one of my screenshots, mm. but it's, it just showcase. And it's like such a, it's such an, like, it's such a simple shot yet. It's, it showcases the two pillars, the two brothers and Philip Seymour Hoffman has probably always reigned within the power, uh, uh, mm. within that heightened power of like being above his brother and controlling and manipulating his brother. Yeah. And his brother has always been succumbing to like that manipulation. It's like being a Renaissance like, oh, painting. Absolutely, it's yeah. It's fucking, it's and yeah. and also like that's very much that scene is like really playing in um, Philip Seymour's wheelhouse because I think like oh, yeah. no one no one could quite do as well as he could the sort of towering like rage and frustration and like swearing like um there's this you know there's like a, i'm pretty sure there's like a super cut on youtube of of like philip seymour hoffman swearing in films and in that <laughs> and like and he always just kind of does a thing where he like is like hanging in his head and kind of like murmuring like where's the rabbit's foot where is the rabbit's, where's foot? rabbit's foot and then he just like goes and then he just like launches into a tirade of like the f word and he's just so good at that <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me right now? Where's the rabbit's foot? <laughs> fun fact. I'll, I'll kill your fucking wife right now. Um, fun, yeah, fact. Fun, fun fact. Uh, you don't think a, I will. This is a movie newbie fun fact. <laughs> oh, nice. Let's go. Let's go. Um, when I was a kid, I used to think uh, him and Jack Black were the same person. <laughs> so i'd see him in a movie and i'd be like why isn't this a funny movie why is this so serious yeah, yeah this is so dark i mean yeah. philip seymour hoffman is basically does try playing the the typical jack black role in um along came Polly. yeah make it right we have to go i i, I just sharded I, I just sharded my pants i just sharded i just sharded my pants we have to go um, yeah <laughs> when i was a kid i thought they were the same person so that's the oh, fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that. He's kind of like the blonde yeah, Jack Black. Yeah. 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 And I think they've both had a stab at comedy. I mean, Jack Black had a stab at drama with Bernie. And then, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman had a stab at comedy with Along Came Polly. So they've both intertwined in genres. Um, so I can see that. Um, shall we move on to the third pillar, uh, which... Indeed. Why, why am I now forgetting? Let's um, do it. It is. It's a wrap on 
Sydney Lumet. Oh, it's a wrap. That's that's why I'm forgetting it because I probably don't want it to wrap. Um, it's a wrap <laughs> on Sydney yeah, Lumet. It's, it's Sydney <laughs> Lumet. It's a wrap. Yeah, one, two, three. You get fine performances. Yeah. Oh my God. Every time I watch your movies, I'm like, wow, acting. Oh, <laughs> that was a spoken word. Let's uh, spoken Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's slam poetry. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, what do we what do we think, folks? What do we uh, what do we think about the kind of those three films that we discovered that we that we enjoyed that we that we ate and guggled up, um, and what do we think of of the director that helmed those films uh, and of this kind of master series? Any yeah. any like last thoughts? Well, I mean, he's a height. Yeah, <laughs> he's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. Real, go ahead. Um, Shit, what was I? Oh, I man, you're making I, me look bad here, bro. I totally, <laughs> totally, totally and silence. Yeah, 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 that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, um, we could come back to you. We could come back to you. We come back to you. Just gather those thoughts, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and then we'll we'll you'll make a rap out of it. Um, Holly, <laughs> did you did you have kind of any like last? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'd I'd um of these three films, I'd seen two of them already before we started this. Right. Um, and I guess, so I'd seen a couple of them. So I, I, and I'd seen a few other Sidney Lumet films. And so I was aware of what he could do and what he was capable of. Um, and I knew about his, um, his standing in the film community and how much he meant for cinema as a whole, for the craft. But it, I really do appreciate what doing this theme uh, gave to me because it really did give me a new appreciation of what he was capable of. And now it really makes me want to go out there and, find out more of his lesser known films or even like the bigger films of his that I haven't watched. Cause I think, I mean, there's so much we could talk about. You're right, Jabril, that I don't know if, even though to be fair, it's kind of unfair to talk about how he doesn't have maybe a, a singular or distinct visual style because we picked films that were spread out over two to two or three decades, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. of them. And so what, you know, that is like, that we're talking about like a 50 year span of mm-hmm. of of movie making Absolutely. and so of course like the delivery system the technology was going to change during that time yeah i mean if, if wes anderson was making films in the 50s and continued on until the 2000s he probably wouldn't make films that look as similar to one another mm-hmm. as he does now um but anyway yeah. another point i think I, i'm sure there are visual pin you know things that we or like editing tricks for example that we could pinpoint as to what he likes to to use but I do think, like you guys said, it's what he's able to bring out of the performers and it's what he's able to. Um, and also, I think, like, how he's able to sort of control the tone. I think it was Ethan Cohen or something who once said that one of the most important jobs of a director on set is to control the tone and thread it out throughout. And I think what I got from watching these three, three films was that this was a director who could um, sustain a tone throughout the film and sustain the tension pitch perfectly. And so I think that's my main takeaway from what, you know, from Sidney Lumet's style, as it were. Um, but Jabril, right. uh, you want to yeah. say something? So, yeah, I remember what I was going to say, and it kind of ties mm-hmm. into what you were talking about was, um, which I mentioned earlier, was maybe seeing the movie in reverse order might have shed a light, for me at least, on how, um, like, he evolved from his beginnings to the end, rather than seeing it happen in a timeline, I don't know, like linearly. Um, mm. it, it, maybe I would have been able to catch the visual cues the other way, but I completely agree with you. I think I need to watch a few more films cause it's maybe a little bit more subtle the way he mm. does. And like I said as well, um, his strength is maybe bringing out the best in other people and being maybe de- mm. more democratic in the way he, I don't know. Should I should I hit y'all with a football analogy? Oh <laughs> please please bring I mean, on like, James Milner please. Well no 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 I'm not gonna bring uh, Liverpool's number seven but <laughs> he could maybe be like you know a manager that listens to what the players want to say rather than this is our style there's no plan B this is what we're gonna do and that's that. So if maybe that's his signature style then there's nothing visually that maybe you can pinpoint maybe there aren't no. Um, I don't know. Uh, there aren't like specific things that he does that it's like, oh, that's a yeah. Lumet thing visually. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But score, sorry, we, we, we always say, maybe we'll talk about it, but we don't. Yeah. But the music has always been key. I think the, the music has always been really good, even with the mm. last film. Um, 
so true true he's got yeah, yeah. He, he knows he knows how to also infuse that in his mm. films I mean, and not leave it behind i mean is, I will is just... your favorite oh. oh no no yeah yeah go ahead raf is this your favorite director raf this is yeah oh, yeah. love that i was just gonna say quickly just to touch on the music thing before we throw it over to raf um like i do love the music in this film a lot because uh, Carter Burwell, who composed the score for this film, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, is like a legendary film composer. And I think his score for this, um, it reminded me, it was one of the many things actually that watching this film reminded me of Fargo. Because I think they do have a lot of similarities in terms of the characters they're portraying and the story they're kind of trying to tell. And I think Carter Burwell does such a good job. Uh, like the the music, I don't know enough about music to explain this properly, but he weaves this kind of music that sounds like almost like a tragic fairy tale or something, you know. Yeah. And so it does feel like you're watching something bittersweet and tragic and timeless unfolding on screen. And so yeah, I loved how that music was employed in this film. But um, yeah, Raphael, Absolutely. please, Absolutely. Uh, you know. Tell us your thoughts on Sidney Lumet as a whole. A, a summation. Um, well, you know, and, and just to like go back to J-Roll, like you, you've got plenty of jewels in his in his locker of filmography. You know, you, you've got Equius, you've got Serpico, you've you've got Network. You know, you, you've yeah. got plenty, plenty to still enjoy if you do really like to, um, yeah, to, to dive into the Lumet pool. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, you know, he... He's a legend. He's he's the reason why he's the reason why I wake up in the morning. No, um, <laughs> but he is he is a reason why he reignites my craft and he reignites my passion for acting. And when I see his films, I am reminded why I have gone on this insane, mad pursuit to become an actor, whatever that means, um, because he really energizes and 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 infuses such powerhouses in his performances that that you that as an actor for me i i would have it, it's a fantasy to, to to work in his collaborative collaborative realm it's it's i i am sad that maybe i was born in the wrong decade that i couldn't have hopefully worked with him in the 70s with al pacino by my side ah the dreams they go big <laughs> but um but I also know that he's inspired other filmmakers to do the same thing with his ensemble and with his collaborations and with the people that are around him. So I know that um, though he is gone and RIP, he has introduced something the industry uh, is still playing with, and that's collaboration between actors and directors. And a, an actor's director is such an important thing because suddenly you're getting a story that's well told. Mm -hmm. And that's in its purest form, that's why we tell stories, right? And it, and and mm. he tells he tells them in such a majestic way because the actors are infused with um, incredible inspiration from their director. Um, mm. So this is why he's my favorite because he just it so effectively does that. If that made any sense at all, yeah. But no, yeah, absolutely. so it's it 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 just I don't know brought a question to my mind because it's not mm. really about Lumet specifically. But when you watch a movie, Raf, um, as right. an actor, right? Mm -hmm. Do you do you like? Are there times when you don't really w watch what's going on, and you're just like, "Oh, it would be amazing to work for this. Like, this would be a director that I'd want to work for, or like, this is like the kind of movie that I'd be in, and just be like, oh, I don't know." Like, I can imagine it being like for me when I watch like some a musician or a set and be like, oh, like I kind of like forget about the music. I'd be like, oh, it'd be cool to just work with this person. Mm. Um, and, and then I'd be like, oh, but I didn't really listen to what was going on just because mm. I'm so in awe. Um, I don't know, does that happen to you? Maybe not with Lumet, but just in general. Oh, almost all the time, dude. Like that's one of the curses I have with watching films is that I am suddenly transported to like a place where I'm like, Oh man, what would it be like to be on that set working with that yeah. director being opposite that actor? And suddenly the veil of filmmaking is totally strapped out and yeah. I'm like, oh, there's a crew over there behind that film and then there's an actor like revising their lines just before coming into mm -hmm. that scene. And yeah, the illusion is totally broken, but that's also for me the magic of 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 film mm -hmm. is is knowing that there's this whole other world uh, beyond this one specific scene, mm -hmm. that there's like 
a cameraman over there and then there's like a, they're mm. in a warehouse that's yeah. like decorated and and or not or they're in 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 a natural setting and for me that's the magic of filmmaking mm -hmm. so i get that all the time anytime i watch a film i'm always like man what would it be like to even a blockbuster even something that's like ridiculous like i don't know like even watching twilight i'm like you know what what would it be like what yeah. would it be like, you know, like working with such a specific Bay. script? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> working with Michael Bay, what would it yeah. be like working with such a specific script where you're like, no human says this in real life, <laughs> but here we go. Yeah. And then like a car fucking explodes behind me and I have to just walk really coolly with sunglasses and, you know, smoke my mm. cigar and be like, yeah, like whatever it is. I'm like, my God, what would it be like? Yeah. When it, especially Fast on the Michael Bay. The, what, what was that? Fast yeah, yeah. Oh, Fast and Furious. Absolutely. But what would it be like? You know what I mean? Like, and these are like insane films that I can't even like fathom what it would be like technically to be an actor just to deliver like, he's gone. Mm. Or like, oh, Toretta, <laughs> you don't know me, but you will. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where like, yeah, that's, and that's what we do as, as actors is sometimes we get scripts like before the devil knows you're dead where the story is intense, it's beautifully written, it's kinetic, it's fast-paced, it's intelligent, it's sharp, and suddenly you get the whole idea of, of who your character is and what you have to do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you fucking get landed a motherfucking Michael Bay script and then you're like, holy shit, this is even harder. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's like, yeah, I mean- It's like it's, unacting. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> how not to act. Um, but yeah, no, it's, and yeah. So, but all to say that, yeah, Lumet always always refreshes my my soul mm -hmm. as an actor and feeds my, feeds my actor self, you know? It's like fucking eating dessert. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we spoke about your favorite director. I guess I, we got to talk about other favorites in this movie. So yeah. you want to take it away? Let's do it. Let's do it. So favorite scene starting up. Bumblebee, boom, Jibril. Mm, favorite scene. I... I guess it's not one specific scene, but it's um, the scenes where there's just a conversation with um, Gina and either Hoffman's character or Ethan's character. I, I just like those mm. snapshots into their like vulnerable selves. And nice. um, I, it's, yeah, it's not really like one specific scene. It's just, I don't know, they kind of seem... Are you saying you really like the opening scene of like Philip Seymour's Bear, Bear Bottom? I mean, like, she's also freaking gorgeous. Like, <laughs> Spider-Man's mom. Beautiful. She's Spider-Man's mom, right? Yeah. So. yeah. Oh, aunt. She's Aunt May. Aunt, aunt, aunt. Yeah, aunt, aunt. aunt. yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah well, she is a mother figure. Yeah. But also, um, yeah, there's, and awesome. there's also one, yeah. one fact um, about this and probably one of the reasons why you like it so much is because all of them came from the same, I think, repertory studio or they all they were all they're all friends they're all like really close well, the friends. the so actors was, you're talking about yeah same uh, same uh, Seymour Hoffman Maurice Tomei and Ethan Hawke well all, they're all New all, York people aren't they New York, all New York people yeah. and I think they all like did theater together they all like oh, did workshops cool. and came up from from that scene together that's and awesome. I know Marisa Tomei and Phyllis Seymour Hoffman were really close friends because I think Philip was the one who brought her on board or, or 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 vice versa. I can't remember which way around it was, and I think Ethan Hawke and Marissa Tomei are were really close friends too. Um, that during the scene when she's um, revealing her bosom, uh, Ethan 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 Hawke uh, actually asked Lumet if he could be naked too, so that the she um, so that he could be more or that she could be more comfortable in that scene as a whole. So there is like that kind of friendship chemistry. Mm -hmm. And that's probably why you like those scenes because like that chemistry is, on, you can see it on yeah. screen. It's like um, that Mexican movie. Fuck, what the, the Mexican movie we watched. Oh, um, uh, Itumama Tambien? Itumama oh, Tambien, Itumama yeah, because they yeah, were best yeah. friends and they got naked together as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. just get naked, you know? <laughs> Why not? It's the but this is just like, you can tell that, but speaking of like the New York stage cast, like you can just tell across the board that Sidney Lumet worked with a great casting director who just knew all the the great theater actors from New York. Because yeah. it's not just yeah. those uh, three major ones. It's also like, you know, you got like Michael Shannon, Shannon you've got Rosemary yeah, Harris, you've got, you've got Amy Ryan, you know, yeah. showing up before mm. her career really took off on, on, on camera. But yeah. Mm. So your guys' favorite scenes? Ollie? Uh, yeah, um, I mean, oh, there's quite a few to pick from, but I'm just gonna do a left field choice as I'm known to do. And I'm gonna go for Philip Seymour Hoffman going to the uh, drug dealer's flat for the first time. 
mm-hmm. uh, just because I like just the way it's filmed. Like he just show up, shows up there and you're like, what is he doing there? It's like a really weird, immaculate sort of penthouse in the middle of Manhattan. There's this, you know, very chic looking guy opening up the door with a bathrobe. There's like cartoons on the television. And then he just goes into this room and then the guy lays out this heroin. Well, I, I assume it's heroin. And he takes is, the heroin yeah. and then he just sort of like, you can tell, that gives you a little bit of an insight into this character and that mm. he is just looking for an escape in all sorts of ways. Mm. And then him trying to like relate to the drug dealer afterwards and the drug dealer's like, get a shrink or get a wife. I just thought was, um, yeah, it was a very sad, but very um, uh, affecting moment. So yeah, that'd be my yeah. favorite scene. Yeah, and it's 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 also quite a sad scene, at least for me, because it, it it you know it, yes it, yes it was it was it yeah. was he is depicted as an upper class drug user, um, Phyllis, uh, Andy's Andy Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, uh, and he and he unfortunately died of of yeah, um, and it makes you wonder like how tough that must have been for Philip Seymour Hoffman to film. To, yeah, to that point, I believe yeah. he was a recovering drug addict. He was at that point, yeah. But yeah, anyway. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, it's it, that was a brilliant, that was one of my favorite scenes as well. But I'll go with um, for me, which kind of paints the whole movie, uh, at least the 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 concept of a dysfunctional family. It's like the close-in panning shot of uh, it's a close-in on on Albert Feeney, and you get to see the whole family behind him, and it's kind of like a tableau, um, and they're deciding whether or not to let go, mm. to let uh, to pull the plug on the mother, uh, to let her die. Um, and it's just this one tracking shot and you just see the whole family and all their like, you know, characteristics. Uh, and then you pull in to Albert Feeney and he just says, let her go. Yeah. Um, I thought it was, that created the tableau of the family beautifully. Uh, next, five favorite performances. Hmm. Gina. <laughs> yeah. Gina. I liked her. I really like her. Yeah. yeah. She's yeah, great yeah, actress. She's great. great actress. Great actress. At least, um, like, oh. I, I think because it was 9 a.m. and I tried to find the only positive thing in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Gina. Gina revived your your feelings. Um, Ollie? Uh, God, I mean, it's really tough. Like, any it's of tough. the three this major, yeah, any of the three, tough. four major cast members you could really pick. But I'm just going to say, I mean, it. I think, okay, I was, I was going to say maybe, I'll, I'm just going to say it's Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think, you know. Mm. Everyone's great, but it's his film. I mean, I could have just as easily said Albert because I love seeing that guy on screen. Incredible British actor. Yeah. Mm. With an, an amazing career. But yeah, I'll, I'll say Philip Seymour Hoffman. I like to say Ethan Hawke because I just want to play that character so badly and he does great. But I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman just explodes the screen. Yeah. It's incredible what he does. Um, all right. Things that age the best. Oh, um, I would just, this is a bit of an abstract answer, but I'm just going to say a simple story well told. I feel like these um, kind of movies don't get made anymore, you know, and everyone says that and it's such a cliche, like they don't make movies like this anymore, <laughs> but you know, yeah. it's fucking yeah. true. Sorry, they don't. Yeah, and you had, you that's needed true. a master like Sidney Lumet to, to make something like this. And, yeah. and like a, a story like this would probably be a 10 episode Netflix series nowadays. And, yeah. and that's a goddamn shame. I'm just going to say it. So yeah, I'll say a, yeah. Simple stories, well told. Movies like this. Yeah, I can't. Um, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I, I can't think, really I, think of anything. Yeah, because I don't know. I'm it's just, just immaculate. Yeah, it was it was good movie, but I mean, <laughs> I think good. I don't know. It was it's yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. It, it's just Gucci. It's just Gucci. Yeah. Um, no, that's a cool. That's cool. That's cool. Um, sometimes we don't have to always have an answer. Yeah, I mean, like I don't. Sometimes really it could be something really stupid, like yeah. you know, Ethan Hawke's hair or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's age the best. Or like, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman's vein. Um, uh, can I say Gina? For... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can say Gina. For, for all these for all these questions, you can say Gina. Okay. Um, just Gina. Like fine the board. wine. <laughs> yeah, fine wine. Um, for me, it would be the family tragedy aspect of it. Mm. Uh, there's a reason why Greek tragedies still live on to this day. And there's a reason why most of these Greek tragedies are about families, mm-hmm. somewhat dysfunctional ones, very dysfunctional ones. And this is just another, you know, family tragedy. I think that will be timeless. Um, age the worst, folks. Jabriel. 
Why you guys start with me first? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we can start with... Why not like um, I didn't I didn't like the the nonlinear aspect to it. It was just uh, confusing. Yeah. But maybe I just need to watch it again. So that's fair. Yeah. Um, I was gonna much. I was gonna maybe say the lack of a female perspective because I I do think if this film mm. was made today they might have given us a, maybe made like Gina's character one of the POVs perhaps because I feel like she could have been involved a little bit more. But I also mm. have something that's arguably less important but in many ways just as necessary for me to say which is there is this trope in movies of people killing someone on a hospital bed, like smothering them to death and then just walking out. And I'm not saying I really know all the ins and outs of how difficult it would be to do that, but I feel like it wouldn't be that easy. Like they're always just being like, this dude is in, is at the center of like some, uh, like, you know, like I'm murder, drug, theft. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so there'd probably be cops watching, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. And then it just seems like it's always super, e like there's never one around. It always yeah. seems super easy just to get away with it, and then they always just like walk away, and it's like Bing Bang Bong done, you know. And they're and always and they're always and they're always uh, in a bed in a bedroom by themselves. And I've, yeah, like, exactly. I've been in a hospital, exactly. like a ward uh, or a bed uh, or a room like that. Sometimes there's multiple beds where you get mm. other people inside the room. Yeah, it'd be yeah. really awkward if you just you were in a room, with, you were in a room, yeah. and you're just watching like some dad like smother his son. Smother next to you. his you're just son. Like, <laughs> dude, that'd be even darker. And then you get the drawing like, and you're just like dude, pretending, dude, 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 and you get his perspective of like how he got to the hospital. Yeah, I literally just like tripped on the way to work. And then the film, the film keeps going, and at some point, like there's gonna be another dude, 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 dude. Yeah. And this time it's a bird, and you get his yeah. perspective. <laughs> How did that bird get there? Um, <laughs> do, 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 do. Um, that's just that's my impression of that's pretty good at that moment. <laughs> All right, sorry, I'll do it again. <laughs> I'm like going back in time now. I'm like between present and past. So, guys, we're gonna talk about this film. To <laughs> I gotta stop. I gotta stop. Oh, yeah. All right, uh, what's... short on time, man. <laughs> I know, I know, I gotta go. Um, so, 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 things that uh, aged the the worst for me. Uh, yeah, I would have loved to see a, a female perspective, a female. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and last but not least, uh, mystery question: Who's your fa favorite family member? <laughs> well, oh, oh my god! <laughs> who's your favorite go. family member? Let's go. I mean, the probably, um, yeah, go yeah, on, Jimmy. my mother. The yeah. mom. <laughs> because she, yeah, she, she dies before. deal you... with all that bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm guessing, like, the sister, because we don't really see much of her. So. On that True. basis alone, the fact that she wasn't involved at all in this, like, horrific tragedy means she's mm. probably one of the better characters. <laughs> she's probably one of the better characters. Yeah, I'll say the mom as well, because you just... <laughs> What the hell? Also, Spider Man's um, aunt. yeah, Spi two, the original, two the original yeah, aunt. The original. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. 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 oh my god! There's two aunts. Two aunts. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, I know, right? Well, we got we got there in the end. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, uh, let's give it ratings and yeah. then let's uh, wrap this show. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll go first. I will give it um, eight out of ten stacks of. Like stacks of money. Fat mm. stacks. Yeah, fat stacks. Fat stacks. Benjamins. 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 Yeah. <laughs> a rack. Um, That's what they're called, right? Oh, yeah, racks, yeah. I think so. Oh. I think so. Okay. Um, I will give this... You know, Jabril, sorry. This happens a lot where, like, you're talking about a movie and I feel like you're pretty so-so on the film. And then your rating's quite high. It makes me feel I've got to bump mine up higher <laughs> because I've been, like, raving about the film the whole time. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> 8, 9, 10 is, like... I personally like the film. And then like from one to seven is just like what like analyst like critically, that's what I rate it. But personally, oh. eight, nine, ten, that's it has to be like something that I would watch again. Mm, so okay. this is something that I would watch again. Yeah. Um, all right. Well I, I really did like this movie, but I'm gonna give it eight point five out of ten fake flimsy mustaches. Because I love the little like, nice. flailing yeah. mustache in that first um, scene with Ethan Hawke. <laughs> his, uh, his, nice. his costume was hilarious. His Mary costume, Raff. yeah. Um, I will give it a, a strong nine devil horns out of ten. Oh, because mm. from the, the poster. From the poster, yeah. yeah. Nice. It also came, around, came out around the same time as the Devil War Prada. 
I believe so. And yeah, the posters yeah. looked very similar. And I think I, if I'm not making this up, my parents went to the wrong movie thinking <laughs> it was The Devil Wears Prada. Oh, wow. They must have been I, I disappointed. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were like, what the know. hell is this? Yeah, <laughs> this was intense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where's the right, Prada? Well, where's the, where's the Prada? Where's Meryl Streep? Oh, um, shit. Yeah, you, you, you said your answer already, Ralph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's diddly done. So you can you can wrap us yeah, up, James. So, as usual, before I forget, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, comment, all this stuff. You know what to do. If you go on the Apple app, you just click the little three buttons, and then you can fucking review. <laughs> Same with Spotify. You can hit us. He's like, been watching too much Sydney Lumet films. <laughs> you can fucking do this. And right now, yeah, you can fucking do this right now. Where's the rabbit foot? Good night, kiss you on the mouth. <laughs> and uh, without further ado, see you later. Bye. <laughs> Bye.